Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi Yuri. And I just want to greet everybody in the sanctuary and everybody at home. And we've got a few prayer requests. So before we begin our study, would you join with me and pray? We want to lift up Phil Gillespie, who will have back surgery this coming week. Lord, we pray for success for him, for relief and for mobility and no complications. And we're hoping, Lord, and asking for a good recovery. We lift up Dexter Siegler as well, who's recovering from his open heart surgery. Thank you, Lord, for his progress. And we're praying for Carol Cregan's son, Phil, and his 17-year battle with leukemia. He's in a lot of pain, and the doctors aren't sure how to treat him at this point. So, Lord, we pray in the name of Yeshua that you would minister to him and you would give his doctors wisdom, power, and effectiveness. And we lift up Alicia Sullivan's mom, Carol, and pray about her heart issues. Lord, guide the doctors that they would understand what to do. We also want to congratulate Brian and Deanne Rose. They're opening up full open for their new Dream Ed ice cream shop in San Marco on Tuesday. And happy birthday to Kim Jacobs. Happy birthday. Well, before we begin our Torah study this morning, would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about Mother's Day prophecies, an interesting topic, I think, that... Um, I want to focus on because it connects to our first reading from Leviticus chapter 19 this morning in the Torah portion, which says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire community of Israel and tell them, you people are to be holy because I, Adonai, your God, am holy. And then it goes on in verse 3, every one of you is to revere or respect his father and his mother, and you're to keep my Shabbat. I am the Lord your God. I really like this. It's a call to holiness, and it's based not on religiosity, but on the nature of God. And it's a call to all of us, not just to a few who would be special saints or devout or particularly observant, it's really a call to everyone who would know the Lord and who would be joined with the people Israel and the God of Israel. And it's not just a call to holiness, it's a call to holiness that touches other areas of our lives, such as our relationship with our parents, and to honor, to revere, to respect our father and our mother, and also to keep Shabbat, which I think is interesting that these are all joined together. And in one sense, they give us a, a little summary picture of what life is like with the Lord. It, it's not just us and the Lord, it's us and our families and us and other people. And it's not just our family and no one else, but it's our whole community. And it's not just the whole community, it's our whole way of life. And it even touches how we work and how we use our time. And I love this idea of including the Shabbat, a day of rest, in, in, this, uh, in, in this little summary statement that we were just reading. Because on Shabbat, 
what we're doing is we're stopping our own efforts to be productive, where we can depend on our productivity and our output and our effectiveness in order to provide for ourselves. We're resting. We are gathering together in different ways, even as we are right now in a hybrid way, some in person in the sanctuary, some live on stream in different ways from our homes in various places. But we're gathering together and we are honoring the Lord. We're worshiping, we're praying, we're studying together, but we're not trying to do our normal work just to make money and provide for ourselves. It's an interesting description of a way of life. But I want to focus on mothers because mothers and fathers are addressed in this passage. And I, I want to draw our attention partly because this Sunday is Mother's Day and also because it's always a good idea to be focusing on uh our families, on our mothers, on our fathers. And mothers often don't get all the attention that they deserve. Isn't that true, mothers who are there in the sanctuary? Can you acknowledge that? I know it's true. And it's not just mothers, but uh, women often don't get all the attention that they deserve. And so we want to honor our mothers at this point and say, thank you, Lord. Every one of us has a mother. Every one of us, uh, every human uh, Every one of us has uh, someone to be grateful for who labored, who went into labor so that we would be born. Well, there's a prophetic word that I want to start with. It's the first Mother's Day prophecy that I want to look at. And it's a word that was given to Abraham and Sarah about Sarah becoming a mother because this prophetic word given to them was foundational for the, the origin of the Jewish people, the people Israel, and the origin, if you will, of a covenant people that God has uh, raised up through all these generations in the earth. And so I'm starting in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, and it says this, The Lord attended to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And so, verse 2, And so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the exact time that God had promised. And Abraham gave the name Isaac Yitzchak to the son that Sarah bore to him. So this is just one part of the prophetic passage that describes how the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah when he came to them, the word that he gave. But this is the fulfillment part. And it tells us that God did for Sarah what he had promised. And what he had promised was very specific. She conceived, she bore a son, and it happened at the time that the Lord had promised. All of that is something that was foundational for Sarah, for Abraham, and for the covenant people of God. Now I want to look at two passages that connect to this. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. And where, where it's titled Hebrews, you could say Messianic Jews. That would be, I think, a modern way of, of describing it to the Jewish believers. And it says this in Hebrews 11, 11, By faith, 
Sarah, even though she was barren and beyond the proper age, was enabled to conceive a child because she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, some people think that by faith means something like I claim it, I declare it, I want it, I've got it, I receive it. It's actually something a little bit maybe even quite different from that. By faith means by being faithful, by by trusting the Lord that what he says is true. What he says will come to pass. That's what the faith means. It's, it's not by wishful thinking. It's not by optimism. It's not by hopefulness. Even though those are important things and they can play a part. But faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord. And so Sarah heard the word. It was God's word, not her word. She had a desire. She was yearning for a child, as was Abraham. They wanted children, and they had suffered for so long, even to the point where it was impossible for them physically, under normal circumstances, under any known circumstance, for them to have a baby at this old age. However, the Lord said to them, you will at this time. And you know what? They believed him. That's what the scripture says. Even though Sarah was barren and she was beyond the proper age. So that helps you understand that everyone back in those ancient times understood the normal process of getting pregnant and and giving birth. And they understood it was too late. It was impossible. Even so, she was enabled to conceive a child because she considered the Lord faithful who had promised. By faith, in this case, means by trusting God. Sarah trusted the Lord. She considered him faithful who had promised. Now, this is said again in a different way in Romans chapter 9, verse 9. And this one is addressed to the Italian Gentiles. They're Gentiles. They're not uh, Jewish people, but they are believers. The Romans were uh, Italian speakers, ethnic Italians in, in Rome that Paul is writing to, and and he says this, For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah will have a son. It's the word of promise. In other words, the Lord spoke it, and it came to pass. Sarah had faith, meaning she heard the Lord and she believed what he said. But it also means that she considered him faithful. And she kept faith. And think about what it says about Abraham, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, believing God means this, that when Abraham heard that God, what God promised, he trusted the Lord, that what the Lord was saying was what the Lord would do. And he trusted the Lord and he believed the Lord. It wasn't cheerleading for himself. He wasn't saying, yeah, 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 I believe it could happen. It was this, God said, it will happen, and I believe the Lord. Because Abraham trusted the Lord and held fast without wavering to the promise that God had made, 
God counted it as righteousness. And Sandy and I were talking about this earlier today, and I said it was like the Lord saying, yeah, that's righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. Trusting me, believing me, holding on to what I say. That's what I mean by righteousness. That's how I imagine the Lord's enthusiastic way of communicating about Abraham uh, came about. It wasn't all this high and mighty. It was like, wow, Abraham got it. He got what I'm saying. When I speak, there's power. When you b- believe me and you trust me, you trust me. It's not you're trusting your faith. It's not you're trusting your own faithfulness. You're trusting me. That's what the Lord says. When you trust the Lord and what he says then that's like righteousness. He looks at that and he says, that is someone who stands before me with right standing. Now, in order, of course, to trust the Lord, we need humility, we need contrition, we need to come to him uh, with honesty and sincerity, turning from our own ways and turning to him. And when God gives us a word as he gave to Abraham and Sarah that's impossible for us to fulfill on our own, And then he brings it to pass because we do whatever we can, even if it won't fulfill. We do our part according to what he's telling us. Then that is important to the Lord. That's connected to how we receive uh, what God has promised to us. Now, the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, are just filled with different stories about how difficult it was for... um, husbands and wives, for patriarchs and and their wives to be able to conceive and bring forth covenant children. And there's something about that difficulty, I think, that's so interesting. And it helps us understand that, that this may be the case in many of our lives, because what happened to the patriarchs and the matriarchs will be repeated in the lives of those who are their descendants, both their ethnic and uh, natural descendants and those who are spiritually part of their family as well and have been grafted in and joined to their family. So it gets repeated. So it's not a surprise if you had difficulty in your family bringing forth children and you desired to have children. It's not a surprise if you yourself are perhaps a miracle child. You are an answer to your parents' prayers. And maybe it was hard for your parents to um, conceive and to have children. But the fact that you exist is a demonstration of God's ability to bring miracles about. Well, there's a certain kind of anguish and sorrow that's connected to yearning for children but not being able to have them. There's a a kind of agony at times even for people who are in that condition. And our patriarchs and our matriarchs were people who endured that kind of sorrow, but they brought their sorrow to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord, and he answered them. And the records of such people are throughout the scriptures. The covenant children are hard to conceive and and hard to bring forth. And many miracle babies are born only after much 
difficulty and suffering and and sometimes even shame for those who yearn so long and, and had to wait so long or even danger sometimes the pregnancy when it comes is is dangerous and has difficulties of its own so i think today is a good time to honor such mothers who have endured so much uh to bring forth children and also to honor those women who have yearned to give birth but were not able to and haven't there's a yearning that god puts into women that sometimes is fulfilled one way and sometimes another way but we need to show respect to them because the word of the Lord is our mothers and our fathers are, we're supposed to respect them. Even if they're not perfect, we're supposed to show respect and we have to find ways to do that. I want to go to the next Mother's Day prophecy, which I think is familiar to everybody, uh, whether you're part of the Messianic movement or not. But if you are part of the Messianic movement, for sure you should be familiar with this. It's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel or God with us. Now, this particular prophecy can be so familiar to people that it's got sort of a heavenly uh, aura to it. You know, like angels should be singing. There should be a choir of angels and it should all be glorious and they're beautiful clouds uh, of witnesses who are looking down from heaven and going, oh, it's a beautiful thing that's about to happen. And there's a way of understanding it that I think uh, challenges some of that simplicity and some of those images. And to help you grasp that, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, which is a fulfillment of this this is how it came about. And so this is also a Mother's Day prophecy, but it tells us about the fulfillment and it's sort of in the way that the passage we read about Sarah tells us about the fulfillment. So it's Matthew 1, verse 18, and it says, I'm going to read a, uh, an English Christian translation just to um, help emphasize that there are some like traditional associations about this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged in marriage to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of um, euphemisms in here. Before they came together, you understand what that means. Before she was found to be with child, you understand what that means. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and was unwilling to disgrace her publicly, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, that's a very soft passage that describes a very hard situation. And when we when we think about the traditional understandings about this and the the Christian imagery and how there's a beatific 
miracle of the virgin birth and the peaceful Madonna and all those pictures, the statues, you know, of that of that Madonna who's seated and she's holding baby Jesus and everything just seems so easy and good. And there's this idealized picture of a virtuous and beautiful woman. That's a way of depicting all of this that has uh, penetrated into the, the, the common understanding of this passage. But I, I want to give you a different picture. And I, I just want to make it sort of simple for you. I want you to think about ancient times, the, the, the times when we're actually reading about, the, the times of ancient Israel, and understand that Israel was a, a tribal community and that, that cities were small and villages were small, and there wasn't a lot of mobility so that where you were born, you know, people knew you. It was like a small town. People knew you, and that meant the good, the bad, and the ugly of small town tribal life, if you can imagine that. Okay, so here's the story. Um, it, it appears that there's an unmarried Jewish woman. She's engaged, but it looks like she's pregnant, because she is. And every it raises the question, what's going on here? And people, no doubt, are putting two and two together, and they're thinking, oh. Now, I'm not going to fill in the blanks. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to imagine the difficulty of uh, a pregnant teenager, perhaps, who's not yet married, and she's surrounded by her religious community, and she's pregnant. Now, here's the other part. Her fiancé, Joseph, is aware of this, and he's thinking, oh, my gosh, she's pregnant. Who's the father? Because he knows that he's not the father. That's the circumstance that they find themselves in. That's the dilemma they find themselves in. Now, there's a lot less scandal these days about such things in the modern world and all over the world, but in tribal customs, in tribal societies, in, in um, highly orthodox societies and, and fundamentalist societies, you can understand that this is a scandal. It's a real scandal, and that's what they're enduring. So now I want to connect this. The prophecy in Isaiah, which sounds so glorious that a virgin is going to bring forth a child, now is a hard story for us to see. Because what that means, a virgin, an unmarried young woman, is pregnant. Now, we know the whole story. We know what God was doing in this, and that it wasn't through uh, premarital relations between Joseph and Mary, but there was a miracle going on. But that's not what the society around them understood. That's what, there was a scandal. There was a question, what is going on? And you can imagine the talk. 
You can imagine the difficulty. And even later, there were questions about who the father was. Some of that's recorded in the Talmud. There are lots of accusations that um, Yeshua was actually an illegitimate child, not a miracle child, but an illegitimate child. And I want you to understand something. When the Lord gave that prophetic Mother's Day word in Isaiah and then to Mary and then ultimately to Joseph said that they understood what was going on, it was a word that was accompanied not just by glory and, and ease, you know, like this is going to be great, but also by ambiguity and, and potential embarrassment and, and some shame from the community around them. It's important to understand that so that we can understand that this is how Messiah was born. This is how God chose to come to us. And it's complicated. It's complicated, but it helps us understand something, that, that God comes to us in a way that's lowly and humble. He calls us to come to him with humility and with repentance and with honesty and with sincerity, turning from our own ways and approaching him with contrition. And, and when we do that and we acknowledge that we ourselves have sinned, when we acknowledge that we can't save ourselves, we turn away from everything that was keeping us from God and, and we turn towards him wholeheartedly, then he receives us. When we, when we recognize that we can't save ourselves and we can't pay the price, we can't pay the penalty, then we realize that our Messiah pays the penalty for us, the penalty we could never pay, but the penalty that we deserve. And that produces gratitude in us and appreciation in us for what God suffers on our behalf in order to fix the messes that we find ourselves in. Now, at the same time, God comes to us not in the normal way. He chooses to be born through a woman in a way that's ambiguous to the community at large and to the, the tribe and the family group of Mary and Joseph. They understand but it's not clear to everybody else. And there's always a question, what had happened there and what was going on there? We've settled it for ourselves, but I want to I use this to, to show you something. God came to us this way, humble. God Almighty humbled himself and came to us in such a way that he experienced all that difficulty that we as people experience because he is a God who cares. He's a sympathetic God. He's a God of mercy and compassion. And so I want to speak to young women who find themselves pregnant and you're not married yet. Your God knows what you're going through and what you went through. And he knows 
He knows your suffering. He knows the difficulty and the challenges that are ahead. And you can humbly and honestly come to him. And he's not going to push you away. He's not going to just judge you when you come to him. He is going to receive you because he knows what it's like to be born into such a situation. And and moms, if you have daughters in that situation, your God knows what you're going through. And he understands and he can help you. You can come to him. You don't have to run away from him. And there are children whose parents weren't married when they were born. Um, and your God knows what you're going through and what your experience is. Single parents who are raising children, your God knows your challenges. He understands how hard it is. And he understands how important it is to stay close to him, even in this situation. He won't turn you away as you turn to him. Those that make teshuvah, those that turn around and turn, turn towards him, those that come humble, acknowledging their sin, he doesn't reject. He opens his arms wide to receive us. And children who were given up for adoption or who were raised by foster parents or step parents, your God understands. Yeshua was raised by Joseph, his father who wasn't his father. And so he understands. They, that family experienced some things like you've experienced. When we're celebrating Mother's Day this Sunday, I want you to think about that kind of mother who gave birth to Messiah because it will help us. It took the Lord's humility to come to us. He humbled himself. He found a young unmarried woman. He, he comes to us through her, not through some glorious, powerful person, but he comes in humble and even shameful ways and ambiguous ways where people can interpret it one way or the other. Almighty God draws close to the contrite and the humble because he himself is humble. And he shows us his humility. He shows his humility to everybody that we could learn from him. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Yeshua. That way we can keep learning to be more and more like him. And we can learn to serve in a way that brings his light and his goodness into this broken world. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion and your mercy. And thank you, Lord, for your humility. Lord, I want to grow in these qualities so that my service, our service, will reveal your goodness to others. In Yeshua's name we pray. In a moment, we'll be closing with Aaron's blessing. But first, would you consider standing with us financially? If this live stream is a blessing to you, or if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast, or our sanctuary services at Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Well, let's close with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you and guard you, even in all your challenges. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you 
his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. And we can all say amen. So from Sandy and me, from the Korshan family, from the entire Beth Israel team, from all of our mishpocha, we want to say thank you for joining us. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>